Our sermon this morning comes from Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. That's Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. Please hear now the word of God. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then the Lord's, then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity now to come and to sit under your word. We pray that you would help us to understand it. And by understanding it, we may understand you and we may understand ourselves. And so please, will you come and do your good work? We need you. 
We need you to open our eyes to see these truths and open our hearts to find delight in them. Please, we ask that you would come help us through your Holy Spirit, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sir Arthur Keith lived from 1866 to 1955 and was one of the greatest anthropologists of the 20th century. According to his own autobiography, interestingly enough, when Dr. Keith was a young man, he attended worship services and saw young students surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. He said he often felt, quote, on the verge of conversion, yet he resisted. The reason he rejected Christ was because he believed Genesis 1, the account of the origins of all things, was a myth. He didn't see how it lined up with science. And so he, therefore, did not trust the Bible in anything it contained. Well, on age 42 in 1912, particular bone fragments were found in a gravel pit in Piltdown, Sussex, about 40 miles from London. Shortly thereafter, these bone fragments were declared by the Geological Society of London to be the earliest known Englishman, Euanthropus Dasoni also known as Piltdown Myth. The majority of the world's paleontologists hailed this as a discovery of one of our oldest human ancestors. It was determined that Piltdown Man had the brain size about two-thirds the size of a normal human and had teeth similar to that of a chimpanzee. And therefore, the British Museum dis- uh, announced that they had long last found the missing link. Piltdown Man became an obsession of Sir Arthur Keith. It was a validation of his belief in human evolution. And though there have been over 500 doctoral dissertations on Piltdown Man, Keith wrote more on these bone fragments than anyone else. In fact, in his great work, which is still studied today, The Antiquity of Men, he focused in, primarily centered in, on Piltdown Man. In fact, he even unveiled a memorial site there where Piltdown Man was discovered almost as a, a burial for him some millennia later. Unfortunately, science caught up with Dr. Keith and the rest of the world. For 40 years after his discovery in 1953, the British Museum, which had previously declared this to be the missing link, backtracked and declared Piltdown Man to be a fraud. The jawbone was 50 years old. The bones were treated with iron salt to make them appear old. The scratch marks on the bones simply caused by a common file. When he was 86 years old, the news was broken to Dr. Keith that he had spent his entire life studying and promoting a fraud. These bones, which he was convinced proved the Christian account of origins to be a myth, themselves were discovered to be a myth. His writings, his life work simply perpetuated that fraud. Can you imagine spending your whole life, your entire uh, um, efforts on, on the wrong things? Could you imagine having great faith in that which turned out to not be true? In fact, months before this renowned scholar died, he realized he had placed his hope in the wrong places. I wonder, what are you hoping in? What do you hope for? Many people believe that this world in which we live and enjoy is simply the random outcome of time and chance. Many believe that the material things, that that which we can see and discover is all there is. There's nothing beyond that. Many believe that there is therefore no meaning and purpose to life. We just got here by accident, and where we will go will simply be by accident. Well, Genesis 1 presents an alternative understanding of origins. 
Rather than all these things here that we enjoy and experience and do and find meaning and purpose are not here by a random outcome of time and chance, but are actually created by a powerful God who is good and mighty and righteous. He has made it, and it is good. And so this morning, I would like, if God is willing, to consider this account of creation that we see here in Genesis chapter 1. Now, there is a lot here, and I'm afraid we will not be able to get to all the the wonderful details here. In fact, the detail that is most, I think, uh, vehemently debated, especially in Christianity concerning Genesis 1, is, is what does he mean by these days? The elders even had a discussion on this. Are these six literal solar days or are these six periods, uh, eons as others would suggest? Or are they six literal days with eons in between the days as others would uh, suggest? Or, or is there a large gap, perhaps billions of years between verse 2 and verse 3 as other Christians have suggested? Well, I tell you that I've done an exhaustive bit of study. I've done more reading than I would like to do on this topic, to be perfectly honest. And I've reached two conclusions. Number one, good Bible-believing brothers and sisters in Christ differ on what he means by days. Number two, the issue is not how long these days are. The issue of Genesis 1 is God. It is the fact that God has made them. And I think if we get into the minutia of this text, though it may be tempting for some, we would, we'll miss the main focus of which God is trying to lay before us, namely that God has made a good creation for us. And it not only is, is a wonderful place, but it points to Him and teaches us about Him. In fact, I'm reminded of a story of Rachel Saint once told the widow of the, the great missionary Nate Saint who was martyred alongside Jim Elliott when she ministered to those Aqua Indians who killed her husband and many came to faith in Christ. She took them to New York City and she took them to the Empire State Building. Now these men have never seen a building like this. They've certainly never been in an elevator and so when they walked into a little room, they just thought it was a little room. When the doors opened again, they had no idea that they've gone up hundreds of feet. And so they walked out on the observation deck of the Empire State Building, thinking they were still in the building from which they entered, and they were curious as to how the pigeons got in there. And they began to study the pigeon droppings, missing the entire skyline that is before them. Well, after reading so many views, I become exhausted. I feel like I've been studying pigeon droppings, and I've been missing the glorious picture of God. And so you'll excuse me this morning. Perhaps we could talk at another time as to the nature of these days and so many other issues. But I feel like God is clearing his throat saying, why don't you tell him about me? And so we shall. For I believe God is the subject of Genesis 1. There are, of course, many objects, light, air, water, land, vegetation, sun, moon, stars, fish, birds, beasts, many objects. But God is always the subject. It is always God who's acting. God saw, he separated, he called, he made, he set, he created, he explained. The point, I think, is to look at what God has made, his gift to us, and to see him in that gift. And so such an activity we'll give ourselves to this morning. You notice verse 2, the condition of the earth prior to these six days of creation. The earth was without form, the Bible says, and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. So here, the earth before the six days of creation is described two ways. One, without form, and two, void. This idea without form is the Hebrew word tohu. It means a wilderness. It means a a desert. It means a place in which life cannot uh, live. It, it, It simply means it's uninhabitable. 
When it says without form, it means things can't live there. It's a wasteland. The other description, it says it is void. That's the Hebrew word bohu. And it simply means empty. It means no one is there. And so when we see creation before God begins to, to work on it in these six days of creation, we see that, that it's tohu bohu. That it's uninhabited. It's uninhabitable, excuse me, and it's uninhabited. It's formless and it's empty. It's a wasteland without life. It almost seems like it's just waiting there for God to come and to work on it. And so what God will do in these six days of creation is He will remedy this, this state of, of this earth. That it's uninhabitable will be the first three days of His work. He will make it a wonderful place. And so in the first three days, he will begin to form this wonderful place. He will place light there. He will um, cause the sky to emerge beneath the clouds and, and above the sea. He will create fertile earth. He will make it a habitable place. And then days four through six, he will begin to fill the creation. He will fill the heavens with the light bearers. He will fill the, the, the waters with creatures and the, the sky with birds and the land with animals. He's addressing the issue that we find here in verse 2. In fact, what's also interesting to note is there's a pattern. Each day has a corresponding day. And so in day one, he's going to create light. In day four, he's going to create the, the sun. In day two, he's going to create the sky and the seas. On day five, the corresponding day, he'll put birds in those skies and fish in those seas. On day three, he's going to create the land and, and, and the food on the land. And on day six, he's going to put the beast on that land and, and man on that land. So we see this beautiful order in which God is giving him. As he takes this formless and empty place and forms it and he fills it. The reason I think this is important to understand is you remember who this book is written to. It's written to the, the Israelites. And where are they when this was written? Well, they're wandering in a wasteland, headed to a promised land. Remember that Moses, we discovered last week, penned this book for these people who have been free from Egypt and yet have not gotten to a place in which they are to go. And there, why they wander for these 40 years, they wander in a place that is tohu bohu. It is uninhabitable. They cannot live there unless God was miraculously providing for them every day manna from the sky and water from the rock. And it was un therefore uninhabited. There was no one there except Israel because that's where God was taking care of them. And so they're constantly they're reminded here in verse 2 that this earth was formless and void. And they're reminded, well, that's what this, where we live, seems like. And then they're described this beautiful picture of creation which God gives, gives them in order that they may stoke their hearts with great delight in the promised land, this land of milk and honey that God is leading them to. You also note, before we look at these days of creation, according to verse 2, the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. There's a picture of, of the care that... God's Spirit gives to this creative work, this undeveloped world, this unformed creation. He's going to begin to help bring it to maturity, just like the Spirit God brings you to life and to maturity. And so let's look at these days of creation. On day one, we see the creation of light. This Sunday, God makes light. The Bible says in verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now I want you to notice there's a pattern here. The pattern is going to be repeated throughout the days of creation. It begins by God giving a command. Here he says, let there be light. Next, there's a fulfillment of that command. And there was light. Third, there's an approval. And God saw that the light was good. Fourth, there's a description. And God separated the light from the darkness. Fifth, there's a naming. God called the light day and the darkness night. And sixth, there's a number given to that day. And uh, there was evening and there was morning the first day. 
And so this is the pattern that he's going to largely keep throughout these days of creation, though not exclusively, and we'll look at that as we go through. And so the day one, he creates light. Of course, the question is, how can you create light without a sun? There is no sun until day four, and here, day one, God is creating light. Well, I'll tell you, I wasn't there, so I'm not quite sure how he did it. But I will tell you, the book of Revelation tells me the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the lamp. And so perhaps, friend, the light there upon creation on day one is simply the emanation of the glory of our majestic God. I will tell you that this light preceded the sun, and evidently the light will, um, will extend beyond, will outlast the sun, as God himself is our source of light. Well, we come to Monday, day two. Here we see the creation of the sky. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse and the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, or some translations say sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So don't be confused by this. I was doing our family worship last night, and when my son says, I don't understand, what's this separation of water taking place? Well, it's simply the idea that, that uh, there's an expanse in between two bodies of water. Beneath the, the, the expanse of the sky are the oceans and the seas, the lakes and the rivers. Above that, above the sky, are the clouds that are filled with water. And so simply that God is creating this sky. He is separating the waters from below and from above. Now, I, I've mentioned to you, and, and you, you know, that when God makes these days of creation, He has this approval, right? And God saw that it was what? Good. Well, you notice it's not here on day two. There, there's no approval. And so many speculate, what's going on? Why on day two there's no approval? And to be honest, I don't know. I will point out that it's Monday. So... Um, <laughs> That's all I know. Perhaps when you wake up tomorrow morning, the alarm goes off and you want to throw it against the wall. Perhaps you're being biblical. You're with God. There's a day. Monday is not good, evidently. Well, we get to day three. We see day three, the creation of land and plants. On day three, there'll be two acts of creation. Just like in the corresponding day six, there'll be two different acts of creation. The first act of creation is that of land. Note verse nine. And God said... Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. You see what God is doing. He's beginning to form this earth. He's beginning to make it a wonderful place for us to live. And he draws this land together in order for us to live on it. It is for man. In fact, land is going to be an incredibly important theme throughout Scripture, especially in these early books of the Bible. You know, Adam was formed and put in a special land, and Abraham was called to go to a land in which God would show him. And now Israel is wandering from Egypt into the promised land. And so this theme of land must have been very exciting to them when they hear that it's God who created it. It's made by God for us. And there upon the land we see this second act of creation here on this Tuesday. And God said, verse 11, Let earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Well, see here God is producing vegetation upon that land. But Pastor Mark Driscoll notes that he only specifically mentions two types of vegetation. There's two types of things. He says here, notice this, in verse 11, 
There are plants yielding seed, which we probably think are, are berry bushes, perhaps. And then there are fruit trees. There's no mention of grass or shrubs or other kinds of trees. And what Moses is giving us is a selective retelling of this event to show what is actually good for us. And so these trees are going to provide for our food. These bushes are going to be our food. And God wants us to know that he has made it for us. So we have these two kinds, uh, two kinds of, of vegetation, fruit trees and berries. You like fruit? Of course you do. You like berries? Yeah. You like pie? Right? God made that pie. Right? This is God's work. God has made this for you. He put it there. I think you ought to eat pie and praise God. <laughs> Amen? I think, in fact, I think, I think on Tuesday we all should make pies. Tuesday should be our pie day. And we should just eat pie and praise God. Every time we eat a pie, we ought to say, God made these berries. God made these fruits. I praise Him for it. He loves me. He's good. Thank you for my pie, God. So make, this Tuesday, make, make two pies, in fact. And drop one by the church here, okay? <laughs> Tuesday is pie day. That's what pie's for. You want to know what pie's for? It's to help you appreciate God. Right? There's your theology of pie. Pie exists to help you know God. Well, God continues to create, doesn't he? And he's done, I think, if you will, kind of forming the earth. And he begins now to inhabit everything. He begins to put the light bears in the sky on day four. The, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. You note verse 14. And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be the lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And so here we see God creating the sun and the moon. But I want you to see the, the, the earthly focus of these heavenly bodies. You notice that, that he says they're, to, they're for the earth. But look at verse 16 again. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. There's an earthly focus. These are like servant kings that, that, that help us to live. They're, they're made for us. God has put them there. They're his gifts to us. In fact, I think this is important to, to note because these people who this book was written for are coming out of Egypt. You know, Egypt worshipped the sun. They called it the god Ray. And they worshipped the moon. He was called the god Nut. And you could kind of understand why. I mean, especially before electricity. I mean, your whole life was ordered by these two great lights. They understood them to be gods. In fact, many, many cultures have understood them to be gods, but not, but not our religious tradition. God simply says they're not gods to be worshipped. I simply just threw them in the sky to help you, to bless you. And so don't bow down to them. Understand I made them. In fact, he not only made the sun and the moon, but you notice there in verse 16, it says, and the stars. It almost has an afterthought. Oh, by the way, he made the stars as well. It almost doesn't deserve being mentioned. I mentioned last week that there are 10 octillion stars in the universe. And that if you take a grain of sand here upon this earth, for every grain of sand that you find in a desert or a sandbox or a beach, there are a corresponding 10 billion stars in the world. And the stars, he says. Oh, by the way, you should know that he made those. Do you know light travels 186,000 miles per second? That's the way light can travel 6 trillion miles in a year. 
We live in the Milky Way galaxy. For light to go from one end to our galaxy to the other will take 100,000 years. The next galaxy to us is actually 3 million light years away. So I thought they were right next to each other. There's actually an expanse. For light to travel at 186,000 miles per second or 6, trillion, 6 trillion miles a year to go from one end to the universe to the other will take 156 billion years. And he made the stars. He just threw them up there. This is the God whom we worship. Many worship the stars in this day. Many worship the stars today. They think the stars control our destiny. The Bible says that the star, God is so great that the stars are almost an afterthought compared to him. What well, we see on day five, the creation of birds and the creatures of the sea. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the heaven, above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. On Monday and Tuesday, I, I took uh, my daughter, Samaria, backpacking. Uh, we're a kind of a backpacking family. When you turn six in my house, you go on your inaugural backpacking trip. And Samaria so turned six in February, and we went backpacking over on the CNO Canal in western Maryland alongside the Potomac River. And we had an incredible time, wonderful time. And we set camp there right on the, right on the river. And uh, we just kind of enjoyed the, the privacy. We didn't see another backpacker throughout those uh, woods. But we did see, we saw a big hawk jump out of a tree and fly over the Potomac River, making his screech. And we both noted God made that. In fact, along our entire hike, we saw all sorts of butterflies. I mean, just the, the most crazy blue butterflies and, and yellow butterflies, some hairy, some not, some, all sorts of pattern, purple and yellow and white and brown, and, and they were everywhere. And she got annoyed at Daddy because he kept going to take pictures of them. Daddy, why are you chasing butterflies? We're supposed to be backpacking. Well, God made those butterflies, and I want to take a picture of it. I mean, they all could have been brown, couldn't they? They just make brown butterflies. And yet God seems to be just so extravagant that he just lavished beauty upon them. We, in fact, uh, we, we laid our heads down on Monday night in our tent and uh, we began to hear an owl cry. You think owls are peaceful, don't you? When I saw peaceful, whoo, right? Well, evidently this owl had a megaphone and, and he was perched on top of our tent, I think. And so it was not peaceful at all. And it was hard for my, me to remind myself, God made that owl. I mentioned that we were on the Potomac River. There was, where we were camping, there was a rock right in the middle of the river, and the river was low. We were actually able to, have me holding Samaria, wade out to this rock. It was flat right there in the middle of the river, almost as if God has put it, uh, it there for us to have our lunch, lunch upon. And there we, we ate lunch upon them in the middle of the Potomac River on a rock uh, no bigger than the size of half your dinner table. And there we uh, put our feet in the water, and we would watch fish jump in the, in the lake, I mean the river, excuse me. And we, and, and we said, God made that. This is what God has done. The Bible tells us that God has made these birds and God has made these fish. In fact, he not only tells us he made the fish in the Potomac River, but you notice verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures, the massive animals that live in the ocean. God created them. You know, the pagan creation stories tell us that God battled some great sea animal, some great sea turtle, and out of the corpse of that dead sea animal, creation emerged. The Bible comes along and says, no, no, no. God made the whales and lets them play in the oceans. Such is his power and his might. 
The Bible tells us in Psalm 148, verse 7, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the deeps. You notice also what's interesting about day five is that there's this blessing given. You see that in verse 22? And God blessed them. And this blessing, this is the first blessing, by the way, that God has ever given. God loves to bless. He's going to bless 80 times in the book of Genesis more than any other book in the Bible because he's a blessing God. But you notice that blessing is, is connected to life, which is first emerges here, at least animal life here on day five. It, verse 22 says, and he blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. And so the blessing is, is connected to their ability to actually make babies. So the birds are blessed because they can make little birds. And fish are blessed because they can make little fish. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And we get to the creation of humans down here in day six. You know, verse 28. And God blessed them. You should, this should be familiar. And said to them, be fruitful and multiply. The first words that God ever gives, the first command he ever gives to humans is to make babies. Right? I say, Amen. First thing God shows up, I want you two to get together and make babies. Yes, sir. Right? He blessed them so that they could have children. You know, babies are a blessing, aren't they? Next time you hear a baby cry in the service, I want you not to think, when will they get that baby out here? I want you to think, that baby is a blessing. That mother is blessed. Next time you see a pregnant woman, you ought to think, that woman is blessed. I kept trying to tell Allegra that when she was pregnant with Eden. You are blessed. You know that. She just kind of growled at me. I'm faster than her, so that's okay. So she's blessed, right? This is God's blessing. Children are a blessing. If you don't think children come from God, you begin to think that children are an inconvenience upon you. Maybe a burden upon your body. This is what happens when you think that, that, that this world is the random outcome of time and chance. But the Bible tells us something wonderful and something different. That kids are a blessing. This is why a number of you are headed to South Dakota. Because there are children in Eagle Butte. And you're going to have a VBS for kids. Because God loves kids. And God has blessed these families by giving them, and you want to tell them about Jesus. After service, we're going to have a VBS planning meeting for our, uh, the first week in August, so we here can have a VBS to bless the children in our community. Because God loves children, and they are blessings that God has given to us, and we ought to recognize that. In fact, friends, let me tell you, the next time you're, you're in a, a grocery store, maybe, and you see a woman with a, with a bunch of little children, let me just give you a little advice. Let's say she has seven children, just off the top of my head. Don't, don't walk up to her. Please don't do this. Don't walk up to her and the first thing out of your mouth is, boy, you must have your hands full. Because what you're communicating is that these children are not blessings, but, but hardships. And yeah, she does her, have her hands full. But her children are so much more than hands being full. They're blessings given from God. One woman walked up to us and said, I'd jump off a bridge. You know, I know children are small, but ch- I don't know if you know this. They're, they're small, but their ears work. Right? And when they hear you come up and say, you know, you have your hands full, what they hear is that you are a burden upon your mommy. You make her life hard. You make her life stressed. You make her life difficult. That's what I think about you. I'll tell you, the Bible presents something entirely different. That children are blessings. You're a child in this, this auditorium right now. Understand this. God says you are a blessing to your family. And don't you let anybody tell you differently. You ought to come up to that woman and say, Woman, 
you are blessed indeed. And walk away with that great affirmation. This is what God does. He creates, then he blesses. That's what God is. Creator, blessing. This is who he is. Well, look in day six. Friday. Thank God it's Friday. The creation of land animals and God's image bearers. Verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so we see here, God, again, I mentioned he's going to have two acts of creation on day six. The first is that creating the animals. You see three categories of animals. The first category being livestock, which I think is interesting that God creates livestock. Bible seems to imply that livestock aren't necessarily domesticated animals, but certainly animals God already created domestically. I've never known a wild cow, by the way. Maybe they're out there somewhere, but I've never seen a wild cow before. I think God perhaps created them just to be domesticated, just to be livestock, to be a blessing on people. You also notice that God created um, creeping things, which I don't particularly care for, but he made them. And he created beasts. The thing I want you to note here is that he created them according to their kind. Five times in two verses, he said he created them according to their kinds. We've already seen this in day, in day five when he created the, the fish and the birds. We already saw it in day three when he created the plants. He said, you'll reproduce according to your kind. The fish and the birds will reproduce according to their kinds. All animals will reproduce according to their kinds. That's what animals do. Frogs make frogs and, and llamas make llamas and people make people. We've never discovered anything different than that. That's all we've ever observed. When, when we were pregnant with, with our seventh child, Eden, Allegra and I never got together and said, you know, what do you think we're having? Is it going to be a frog, a llama, a human? Right? When Eden was born, we weren't like, praise God, it's not a llama, right? <laughs> I don't like llamas, and I'm glad I don't have one. So we, 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 we expected a, a human. The Bible says we, we reproduce according to our kinds. Um, and this is the boundaries that God has made for us. Well, you know that God has also made a second act of creation on day six here in verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the ground. You see, the, 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 the conversation slows down a little bit here, doesn't it? The narrative kind of slows as we reach the apex of creation. And God willing, we're going to focus in on this creation of man next time. What, what does it mean to be created in God's image? And what is the work that he's given us to do? And so you see that God has made this wonderful world. A world that was once formless and empty is now wonderful and full. There are sun and moon and stars. There are berries and fruit. There are lands. There's whales and fish and birds and bats and dogs and cows and buffaloes and babies, all because God made it. And I think this helps us understand who God is. And so in the time remaining, let's just speculate, this is not speculate, but let's just consider based upon the word in which we've studied here this morning, who is it that made this? Well, I'd first suggest to you that it is a mighty God. You notice how he created, not by great labor, but by simply speaking. Eight simple commands, and he spoke all things into being. He spoke the universe together. The Bible says in Psalm 33 and verse 6, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and the breath of his mouth all their hosts, for he spoke, and it came to be. 
Let it, let there be, let there be, let there be. The Bible says, and it was so, and it was so, and it was so. This is what theologians call fiat creation. Fiat is simply a word for decree. That God decreed things into existence and they existed because of it. There was no battle in the cosmos. There was no great um, giant dragon or some sea turtle which God had to defeat in order to make creation. All those stories that have been handed down for the millennia make it sound like children's stories that get together when they play. The Bible presents something radically different. There is no rebellion. It simply becomes exactly what he commands it. I want you to see, understand the peace of creation. There's so much peace here. There's no conflict. There's just this majestic and mighty calm as God goes about his work, exercising his might over all things. And then on the seventh day, he sits down on his throne and surveys what it is that he has made. He's made it. He's mighty. What's the greatest thing you've ever seen? Mountain, ocean, whale, canyon. God made that. All the physical laws, the countless other ones that we have not even discovered, God made them. Who is like him, therefore? Who can even comprehend his might, that he can speak these things into existence? The greatest men and all their mightiest accomplishments are are insignificant compared to what God has done. The, the, The strongest men can work all day. And yet at night they have to lie down to recover and God just keeps creating and creating and creating. If you're here this morning, you're, you're not a Christian. We are, we are happy that you're here with us this morning. We praise God that you have come to be with us. But we do want you to understand that Christians believe in a God that is full of power and might. We also believe that there's a day in which you and I and all of us will stand before him and you will want to stand before this mighty God on that day, not as his enemy, but as his friend. The problem is that we are all given ourselves over to this enmity. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all gone our own way. We've all rebelled against our creator, lived in disregard for him and his laws. And yet, in his great amazing love, he has sent Jesus Christ to this earth that he may pay the penalty for your sin and my sin by dying upon the cross. And three days later, he rose from the grave showing that God received that payment and the Bible says if you will bow your knee to King Jesus, if you will repent from your sin and follow Jesus for your days, that, that you will go from enmity, from warfare with God, to peace with him, that he will actually not only become your God, but become your father and for eternity. And you can bend your knee today, and your life will change for all eternity. He is a mighty God. Jesus Christ himself said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his own soul? And for us who are Christians... You understand this God is mighty. This is God's world. You are made by God. He made it all. He owns it all. I don't believe he has given it away. The story of creation is that God makes a claim on everything. It is his. You are his. You and I, therefore, ought to live our life in total allegiance to him as we owe our existence to him. We also, by the way, ought to respect this world. We've got to care for this world. And I believe every Christian ought to be an environmentalist. And I have no idea how we've lost that issue. Because we are the only worldview that actually has a right to claim that issue. That we believe a personal God has made a wonderful and beautiful gift for us, namely creation. And then he has placed us upon it. And the very first instruction he says, okay, take care of it. Take care of it. 
Yet somehow we've given ourselves over to this hyper-capitalism that wants to squeeze this world like a sponge and drop everything out of it with total disregard for the generations to come. Now, don't get me wrong. There are environmentalists out there that have perverted this idea and they begin to worship this world. And we are called specifically not to do this. But friends, do not disregard the work in which God has given you. He has placed you upon this earth to steward it, to be like him upon it. And we ought to obey him in it. I also want you to know, Christians, if this God is mighty, that no matter, no, no matter what trouble you face, it is not greater than God. God does not look at your problem and say, okay, how can I handle this? I don't, this may be too big for me. He made it all. In fact, the prophet says, Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing. He cares for you. This powerful God cares for you. May it cast your care upon him. We also see that he's a good God. You notice everything that God makes is good. It's perfect for life. From what I understand, if the earth was a little closer to the sun, we would burn up. If it was a little farther away, we would freeze. Earth was a little bit larger, the, the atmosphere would be too thick, that would become too hot here for life. If it was a little bit smaller, the atmosphere would be too thin, it would be too cold here for life. And we go on and on about this good creation which God has made. I want you to understand, He didn't make an evil world, He didn't make a wicked world, He didn't make a fallen world, He made a beautiful, perfect world for you and I to live upon. He's a good God. He gives you pie and children and thousands of other blessings. Thirdly, note that God is a blessing God. You see this here, we've already seen that he blessed the birds and the fish, and then he gets to man and he blesses them. And we, we sin against him. And you know what he does? He continues to bless us. He continues to pour out blessings. I don't know, maybe he can't help himself. Maybe he just loves to bless. Maybe that's just in who he is as he pours out blessings. You understand, I hope, that no matter what trouble you have today, you are blessed. You realize that, Hamilton Baptist Church? You, we are a blessed people by God. And he will keep blessing. He began blessing at the very beginning. He continues today. And he's going to bless forever. One day he's going to fix his creation. And you and I shall live in a world not, with nothing but God's blessing. There will be no sorrow or sadness, no sickness, nor sin. Just an eternity of successive blessings by a good and powerful and blessing God. We also and lastly see that he is a recreating God. Perhaps we don't see it here in this text, but... If you allow me to give you a moment of this truth. See, creation was not here in Genesis 1, not a one-time act. The Bible says that God is going to recreate this world. The Bible tells us that he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And actually this new heaven and this new earth are going to come and, and, and be together. And that therefore where God is, you and I will be amongst a new creation, wonderful and exquisite and marvelous. And there live with the angels and all the redeemed and God himself upon this new heaven and this new earth. It will be unlike this world, which today is, is almost kind of like verse 2. At least at times, tornadoes and floods and collapsing buildings. It's not peaceful. At least as peaceful as God intends it to be. It's not as beautiful God's going to redeem it one day because that's who he is. He's a redeemer. He's not going to let sin win. He's going to recreate this world and we're going to return to where we started, although I think probably even better. In fact, he's not waiting to begin that, that, that work to, at the end. Jesus himself said in John 14 and verse 2, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so even this very moment, I think Jesus somehow is preparing a place for us, this new creation. You want to know who will live in this new creation? Well, it's those who are new creations. We must be recreated as well. 
Because sin has not only marred this world, but it's marred us too. So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. He's already begun this work. We became a new creation when the Spirit hovered over our hearts, if you will, and gave life to our spirits. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we are, we are this new creation. We are a foretaste of what the new creation will be. This assembly here this morning is not only the assembly of the created... It is the assembly of the recreated. There was a time in which we wasted our life. There was a time in which we we went away from our Creator, and yet He in His great mercy has given us new life, has given us new birth. And today, He's not only preparing a place for us, He's preparing us for that place. As He begins this, continues this work in our hearts. And one day we'll return home to this new creation, this new place of joy and peace and love and light and delight. And it will be heaven, literally, for us for all eternity. And before we get there, He's going to prepare you and I to be fit for it. I believe He's preparing you today that you may one day step foot upon that new creation and you will understand that it all points to God and that He will be the center of your joy, this powerful, this good, and this blessing God as He recreates you. And you know how He recreates you? Well, He does it through His Word. God first created through His Word. And, and, and He continues to create through His Word. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, So shall my Word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Remember when Ezekiel stood at that valley of dry bones and here is just a, a mass of deadness before him, just corpses. And God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can, can these bones live? And Ezekiel in his great wisdom says, I don't know. <laughs> you know though. You know God. And what does God say? Speak to the bones. Speak the word of God to the bones. And they begin to come alive and standing before Ezekiel after the word of God is proclaimed is this army dedicated to God. He does it through His Word. He's always done it through His Word. We see here in Genesis 1 on Sunday, that first day, God's Word began. His work began by the speaking of His Word. And thousands of years later on that Sunday, the Word of God Himself did His greatest work of coming from that tomb. And now you and I gather together each on this first day of the week, this Sunday. Why? So that we may open His Word And that His Word may bring life to us. It may bring order where there was chaos. It may bring beauty where there was sin. That we may be be prepared for the place in which He is making for us. But you and I, friends, like creation, need to respond to His Word. Hebrews chapter 3 says, Today, if you hear His Word, do not harden harden your hearts. We respond by believing it. We respond by repenting. We respond by worshiping this great Creator and redeeming God. We respond by becoming alive and becoming fruitful in our life. And I pray that this recreating God would do this great and mighty work in us and continue to do it, that we may be better suited for the place in which he is making for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we can gather together and consider these truths. We thank you for this world. It is full of wonder and awe and beauty. We love it. We're not, we don't want to trade it for any place. And yet we know there's trouble here. And Father, we have brought this trouble upon this earth. 
And so we long for the day in which you'll recreate it. We long for the day in which you will reveal to us what you are preparing for us, Lord Jesus. We thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the truth that you give us in in light of the lies that besiege us. We thank you for the word that you've given us so that we can know you, that we can know that you're a powerful, the mighty God, this good God, this blessing God. We thank you for it and ask that you would help us to respond to it, Father. Help us to become more fruitful. Send your spirit, even as you did in the beginning to us, Father, that we may know you and we may find our great delight in you. May we walk away from this place more in love with you, more in awe of what you may. We do love you, Father. Help us to love you more. Help us to esteem you more. Help us to follow you with more faithfulness and more joy. Help us to be bold about the God to whom we worship in the midst of a world that would lie to us and and, and cast us down because of the truth in which we believe. Please help us to be the people for which we were made, that we may leave here with hearts full of worship for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.